Thanks for listening to Star Lores. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and giving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also help us make more great content by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com. We would also love to hear from you on social media. You can follow Star Lores on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Are you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? in the Toshi station to pick up some power converters. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. Uh, we're on the way from Corazon to Ossus on the Extremely long Rima trade route, trying to get away from the big city. Can't imagine why. And uh, I'm, of course, Sam. This is Jordan. I'm Christian. Welcome to Star Wars. Today we have a guest joining us. Oh, who's that? Uh, hey, my name is Frankie. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Frankie. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. What podcast? I thought we were on a ship. <laughs> we podcast from our ship. <laughs> you and guys got to keep to the kayfabe. <laughs> yeah, this is an intergalactic... Um, radio transmission. Yeah. <laughs> it takes thousands of years yeah. to reach the other side why, of the galaxy. Why do you think the Millennium Falcon had that big radar dish? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is the Millennial 215. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Frankie is actually Christian's brother. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Frank, thanks for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing, man? Yeah, man. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Super excited. Cool. Been, um, uh, give us a little bit of your uh, personal story in the fandom of Star Wars. For sure. Yeah. Um, very similar to Christian's. Um, grew up kind of around Star Wars in the house a lot. Dad was a fan and kind of introduced us to it at a very young age. Uh, Star Wars was actually the first movie that I... Uh, remember any serious attachment to um i do remember having the discussion and just how mind blown i was discovering uh vader is actually luke's father (laughs) for the first time and Mm -hmm. having to actually ask my dad at the dinner table like dad is vader actually luke's father (laughs) this is just blowing my five-year-old mind so yeah yeah it's been uh been a, a fun journey ever since until i think that's a staple for most people's uh, childhood for sure that yeah. is a very 90s experience absolutely i feel for sure yeah yeah cool man uh well in this episode we will be reviewing star wars episode one the phantom menace <laughs> <laughs> so uh sam you want to kick us off into the topic yeah, so uh, of course, like with all Star Wars movies, we get that wonderful cr- opening crawl of the uh, script going up through space, 
And it's very thrilling. In the first paragraph, George Lucas mentions taxes. <laughs> That's a good way to start off your t- summer galactic opera <laughs> action movie. The worst way to start off anything. <laughs> talking, <laughs> about <taxes. laughs> talking about taxes. Starting so, a society. <laughs> taxes. So sometimes when I'm uh, like reading a book or watching a movie, that's just, just like, and there's something that just seems like atrociously, not just bad, but like incompetent. Like I start to do headcanon and think like, were they really just being like super ironic on like some sort of high level? And is that what George Lucas was trying to do? He was like, you know, talking about the only two certainties in life are death and taxes. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's actually a very deep thought. So yeah. it's actually like foreshadowing about how much death there's going to be in this <laughs> movie by talking about taxes. But totally. That's probably being uh, a little too generous yeah. to our friend George. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems to me that the whole the whole reason that the Jedi, as we the opening crawl finishes telling us, should I wait till that siren goes? Okay, <laughs> I'd finish just this, a space ambulance. Don't worry yeah, about tell it. us that uh, the Trade Federation has blockaded Naboo, and they're not allowing supplies to go in or out because of taxes. <laughs> and in response. <laughs> And in response, the Jedi Council has sent two Jedi Knights to, and uh, (laughs) we're having a little bit of contention over this. I put two big scare quotes around negotiate because (laughs) uh, these are, are trained killers who not only are armed as they walk into the negotiation chambers, you see they have their lightsabers at their belt. Hard disagree. Yeah. Hard disagree. You, and they have mind control abilities, which they could certainly use on the Neomoidian negotiators. So I almost say that the Neomoidians uh, trying to kill them, considering that how the Jedi were armed when they went on, is almost justifiable. <laughs> Maybe, but the I feel like they're armed against an entire droid army on a ship. Yeah, <laughs> they are. But as, um, as the Neomoidians say... I, I don't know how true all of this is. I'm sure there's a lot of backstory uh, leading up to Phantom Menace that I'm not privy to. But um, what they were doing was perfectly l- within the law of the Republic. Yeah, yeah, Their blockade yeah. was perfectly yeah. legal. They weren't yeah. doing anything wrong by doing that. Yeah. So the Jedi... Going- However, I, I do think it would be sort of um, common procedure for Jedi Knights to come and broker... Deals like be peace deals, and they would have their sidearms with them. Also, not to mention that literally they blew up their ship that was unarmed and passively in the hangar bay. But they did that after the fight. Is this turning into yeah after after was after yeah yeah yeah. is this turning into a who shot first (laughs) (laughs) a little bit (laughs) the trade federation did nothing wrong (laughs) (laughs) they're unfairly maligned (laughs) this is a communist ploy (laughs) 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 to 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 malign industry (laughs) oh I I did find some tie-ins to uh, Ayn Rand by the way (laughs) hold on to that for later okay it's gonna get good so moving on i think we'll just have to agree to disagree i think the jedi were acting in bad faith 
that's just me. But that's not the way the narrative represents it. Yeah, I do it, think you right? stand alone Like, even that. if it's an, it's an interesting, like, thought experiment, but it's not how it's represented in the narrative. I will give you credit about the Jedi mind tricks, like, to send negotiators that could potentially just mind <clears throat> yeah. control someone in negotiations is an interesting moral or ethical question. Exactly. But feel they, ha- like they have though, to have a Watto on, on hand <laughs> at all times. Yeah. So here's, here's a question. <laughs> or, or, a hut. or a hut. Yeah, or a hut to resist here, mind tricks. Here's a question, though. Like... Oh man, this could get into a real side <laughs> side trail on the ethics of like Jedi mind tricks. But like, I feel like for the most part, especially in the movies, the Je- whenever the Jedi use Jedi mind tricks, it's generally to like help what would be considered maybe the light side. Yes, right. I mean, so I mean, there's I, that whole that whole. I mean, that basically is a a cheat for your alignment setting in the Kotor games, right? How, yeah, totally. How you use your mind tricks? Yeah, right. I, you know what though, there isn't. An, we're not going to the rabbit trail because it's actually is super relevant to episode one in the character of Qui Gon Jinn. For sure, yeah. Qui Gon is very much portrayed as like a rogue, even within the council. Yeah, yeah. And you see him use mind tricks quite a so bit much. in this movie. Space, it's true, yeah. And I wonder if like the Jedi practice a uh, like we only use mind tricks, you know, when absolutely necessary to prevent conflict or violence, right? They're like, okay, this is a last resort kind of negotiation I would also tactic. Think- Whereas Qui-Gon just throws his weight around, just like, no, I need this done. I'm going to do whatever I can to get it done. Right? Yeah. Because, again, For he's sure. that, yeah, rogue, kind of that roguelike character. Right? Yeah. So. One more rabbit hole. Yeah. The, uh, the, this, the dark side powers that some of the, the more ancient ones that are first presented in the Tales of the Jedi comics are a lot to deal with, like, that sort of illusion school of magic of, like, manipulating people's perceptions mm. like what they're doing with the jedi mind trick as well so i think it would sort like like it does seem like a, a jedi mind trick would at least a little bit always be kind of dark side so a gray area for sure yeah interesting though like it's it's re- just taking it back to the movies though <laughs> why is obi-wan making like can you just let the dude have his death sticks you know like is that really Right. Well, Obi-Wan, then you have questions of like yeah. how much free will is enough. Free yeah, will and exactly. When should so this like, intervene? But again, again, I guess you could also make the argument though, like maybe he's helping that dude better his life using right. a Jedi but is mind it, trick. Is it his right as a, an instrument right. of true? We'll get into this authority. on our episode on Darth Treya. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but I guess the only the only people you see hurts. in the actual uh, <laughs> in the actual trilogy use Jedi mind tricks is Luke on the. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, right? Those are the only guys. I think so. Yeah. Even then, does does Luke use a Jedi mind trick? Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. He even tries to use it on Jabba. You can see his Yeah, like, yeah, his yeah. Hand. When he waves his hand. Yeah. yeah, that's where I was thinking of in, yeah. in that episode. Yeah. So who shot first, the Jedi or the Trade Federation? <laughs> there are other echoes of A New Hope in this episode. I mean, that's... trying to gas some, your guests, too, seems like a very... <laughs> it's impolite, but I don't know the Neomoidian culture. <laughs> you know... How dare you? Yeah. Anyway, that that could be a sign of respect in the sure. You know they're from they're from uh, Duros originally, I believe. Nemodians. Yeah, they look similar. Yeah, they're they're a subspecies. And oh, okay, uh, as we discussed in our xenobiology episode, Duros was poisoned by our future to be released in biology episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's it. <laughs> the will of the force. <laughs> it's a very great episode on xenobiology that. Challenges everybody's uh, Latin and Greek pronunciation abilities. <laughs> anyway, another echo of A New Hope is uh, that whatever transport the Jedi are on kind of looks in design sort of superficially similar to uh, the Tanta 4 to a blockade runner 
type freighter. It's obviously smaller in scale, I think. Yeah. But it's it's nice and blocky and it's got like that totally. the round engines in the back. The yeah. round engines in the back and stuff. And then also it's you have that sort of ship inside a ship motif of like <laughs> these are the 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 good guys and they're the small minority group that's being beat up by, by a bigger bad guys who are in this yeah. huge like world the big ship. and the power i never connected that but you're totally right yeah, yeah it's supposed to echo it rhymes yeah <laughs> that's what i always think now <laughs> I, Whenever I, want, I, want, I consume any star wars media i just think of george lucas saying it's supposed to rhyme <laughs> <laughs> and then uh we also get c-3po's hot silver sister uh aboard tc14 tc14 i'm glad you you caught her yes, her sir. name and I mean, at least she seems female. It's hard to tell with droids. You know, I I I literally just watched this film and I didn't even catch that it was for some yeah, reason like the very first. Yeah, I didn't. No, I know the droid, but I didn't catch that it was like gendered as female. It has a female sounding voice. voice. Okay, as yeah, far as yeah. a robot voice can sound, right, male sure. or female. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. And I mean, if you think about C three PO generally, he's. It kind of has yeah, like it's an, more an, male and yeah, but it's kind of effeminate yeah, as yeah. well. It's yeah, kind yeah. of androgynous, yeah. Sort of snakes that line as totally. robotic things are wont to do. So she walks by, which brings up something that's interesting: is that C three PO is sort of billed as a creation of Anakin. Anakin, yeah. But that protocol droid model very much seems to be in it's existence. like a standard model. So. Is C-3PO completely different under the hood than that than that model? So I actually looked into this quite a bit, actually, um, leading up to this episode. Um, so what's actually really cool is um, George Lucas actually always intended C-3PO to have been built by a child. Uh, like like way back in 1977. Like, like how yeah, he like always intended midi-chlorians. Well, <laughs> oh, that's a good point. But... Uh, in some stuff I was reading about, it was talking about stuff that he had intended in the original trilogies that C-3PO was always built by child. And as well, so one of the kind of some of the theories that was going around about it is perhaps like all protocol droids kind of follow a similar like like bones, right? And then you can just kind yeah, of... That makes sense. Yeah. And then Maybe they're like, them out then anyone, they're like smartphones. Exactly. Kind of yeah. Anyone could kind of like put one together and yeah. then custom and give them I would almost think like a vehicle or something. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Sort of the same, like combustion engine yeah. Yeah. axle. And like, Anakin is known even later on to modify the things he has, right? He gets a standard sure. chip and he modifies yeah. it yeah. to be yeah. personalized. So, yeah. I mean, he works in a junkyard. He probably got all the kit together from like... Watto. Just yeah. snake and stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Pieces here and there, and so something else that happens right after we see uh, C three PO's hot silver sister <laughs> is uh, she comes out of the room where um, Obi Wan and Qui Gon were very politely gassed by their hosts. <laughs> that could have been again not a shot, <laughs> not a <laughs> shot. That could have been like nitrous. It could have been laughing gas. Yeah, or very something. much was just, not. Just they even to say that it's not. Just they trust. say it's a hyper. They're tired. Gas. Anyway, uh, so that opens and there's a whatever battalion of battle droids out standing outside of the doors but the battle droids look like they're literally shaking and scared of what lies in that cloud of laughing gas and i just thought that seems like a really bad programming thing wouldn't that be easy to uh yeah, I or am I just reading joke. into the into that too much to look no. to you like the battle droids were literally scared? I I didn't catch that personally. Yeah, they I 
I, I want to almost save this. I have a whole thing about battle droids. Oh, and we'll I get save into it for it in our battle droid specific episode. episode. We're yeah, gonna yeah. do it because like even through the evolution from episode one to episode totally. two and on, there's a change there that I. I think they uh, they start like introducing personalities yes. to the droids, which I I didn't get the sense of in episode one personally. No, I think you missed that. I think there it, there it was, was there was some character. It was very present. subdued, though. It was very yeah, subdued. not 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 on the same scale as like in episode three, though. No, no, no yeah, right. It's very Where subdued. They're like a little more silly, almost goofy yeah, kind of droids. Even if you include the Clone Wars series into that, totally, it goes way off totally, the rails. And yeah, yeah. I, like I could spend this whole podcast talking about that specifically, but yeah, they do have personality, which is. Uh, questionable yeah droids are interesting in star wars yeah they're, and we like we, are, we will do so much good so content yeah. for droids. we'll do a deep dive into droids <laughs> yeah so. yeah uh but having an entire droid army is kind of interesting yes. um it sounds like it talks about the uh mindless corporate drones <laughs> yeah <laughs> a little bit on the nose with your uh, symbolism there georgie <laughs> yeah uh but it it one thing, sorry, as an aside, that's kind of interesting about a droid army is I don't know if like Lucas was being prophetic there, but like since 1999 when the movie was released, uh, like um, even uh, military operations have been conducted largely by like drone warfare. Uh, and that's like that's been like a, a, I mean, a heavy evolution since that. I wouldn't so, put that much credit into. It. I mean, lots of people talk about fighting robots. Since no, the no, I know, but since robots were no, I know, created. but but just the idea of like not actually having biological armies, like like having like a like um, a robotic army, uh, sort of seems like. I think it just makes sense as yeah. like uh, you know. I think anybody who's a creative, especially working in science fiction, just sort of sees that that's obviously. A place where the tech is going to go and i think there are a lot of other things in the the first trilogy for example i'm sure somebody's written some top 25 list of like tech technology predictions of star wars or something like that and so i think when you're writing sci-fi and it's good sci-fi because you read science and other good sci-fi it's uh easy to have sort of predictions quote unquote come true in real life yeah if you already see those are the trends that it's going towards but I think it's more to, to do with like the Trade Federation is a giant corporation and yeah they manufacture they literally manufacture their soldiers yeah, yeah right. he was yeah using them as a symbol for yeah, yeah. corporate corp talk cor, cortocracy is that what it's yeah. called <laughs> um, or like corporatism yeah. yeah kind of to get back to um the the scenes though I will say so I was trying to honestly I was trying to put my, when I was watching through the movie I was trying to put myself into a mindset of like someone who saw it maybe for the first time in theaters or whatever. And I was thinking, I was like, man, that first action sequence is actually pretty sweet to start it off and just have the Jedi whip out their lightsabers right away. Like right over that early in the movie. Yeah. You don't see that from like episode four till the end of the movie. Right. And it's barely anything. Exactly. So to have them like kind of, almost give that fan service i thought it was pretty cool and, and not just that but like using their force powers right force away speed too yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, oh i felt like jumping from high ledges totally, and stuff yeah, like it's, that it's and, cool. and using force push. we see jedi at their max power yeah yeah essentially yeah like right away without which is cool though because in kind of that new hope trilogy the original trilogy you kind of see like you don't see the jedi at the height of their power yeah. or as a you know as a a force to be reckoned with right so it's cool to just kind of give them that unbridled like ability you know yeah and and it and it really 
shows like this is why the empire wanted these people gone totally. because they're super dangerous this is how yeah. powerful they are yeah yeah incredibly dangerous tacticians but um just the kind of people you want to have go into your friendly diplomatic <laughs> <laughs> peace missions hey you gotta have teeth right you can <laughs> yeah no one's gonna take you seriously yeah. as a negotiator <laughs> if you have nothing to back it up with yeah um so the the uh, before before they got the laughing gas, which should have calmed them down, but didn't. <laughs> um, Qui Gon did one of his many little philosophical riffs where he's talking to Obi Wan, and uh, Obi Wan says that Master Yoda uh, says he should be mindful of the future, and then Qui Gon's response is basically, uh, "But don't let it cloud the present moment." And I keep thinking, I don't know if you guys have like read any mindfulness. Uh, stuff or done any headspace meditation apps like how on the nose of like uh buddhist thought about mindfulness and meditation a lot of the things yeah and being, Yo- yoda and qui-gon say like <clears throat> it's almost directly from it's even present in the original trilogy if once we get to that point yeah you rewatch it now that you're kind of aware of it, it it'll stand out a lot more but that would be a, a fun future episode is mindfulness in uh <laughs> star wars Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And the force speed, I did not catch that the first time I watched these movies. Really? I don't think I caught it until this one because it's really only like two frames. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, and they're gone. It's literally very fast. It, it is kind of interesting. <laughs> I felt like there was like a lot of little just like tidbits that were dropped throughout the movie to just explain to you what the actual capabilities of a jedi is you know so uh, like the force run thing it was just yeah you're right it was just one shot and and that's what they could do it goes back to the bigger narrative i think lucas was trying to push is like this is a jedi at their peak yeah totally yeah my only issue with that stuff though is sometimes you see these powers and they don't ever revisit them in places where it could potentially save a certain someone's life or you know yeah. oh yeah yeah the will of the force yeah so so i've always <laughs> always kind of the force i've always kind of one and i have a theory on that yeah the whole side of evil. things but wow okay we have to exterminate all force users <laughs> that's right <laughs> we have to kill the force itself <laughs> but yeah that even as a child i do remember That'd thinking be a cool like faction. how come there's some powers that are never revisited in this film specifically and kind of over the overarching and i mean like if you've ever played some of the video games you get to kind of play with some of those powers introduced in uh the films or whatever but it i think it's just a general plot hole that any any even superhero movies right totally it's just a convenience contrivance where you know whatever superpower is convenient for a story point at a time and then it just doesn't come up again later because there's no need for it Uh, harry potter is also especially bad for that with their magic right they'll throw right. out one spell when it's critically necessary and then they'll yeah, forget yeah. it even exists yeah, yeah. right so I, I wouldn't blame star wars exclusively for that i think it's a general fiction problem with fiction generally yeah probably anytime you're dealing with like magic basically essentially yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard it's, i get it it's hard even for authors to keep track of all the abilities they're giving out yeah and, you know and it can just be used as a i don't know what like plot armor like it, it can be used as a, <clears throat> magic can just explain anything basically right. yeah or deus give you like what's that deus ex machina yeah. yeah yeah so so i was listening to your guys' episode on that earlier actually this morning um but i think kind of when you the thing about the force is it's so like all-encompassing that you can almost get away with those moments you know what i mean yes but 
I, I think if they just did a little bit better of a job of like explaining that there are like force abilities that you can develop and they take time like to train in and, and yeah. get skill in, then that could make a little more sense. That's right. not everyone can do, do the everything. Same. Yeah, do yeah. They also right. like, like in the video games, you get an appreciation of this, but like in RPGs, right? When you have magic powers, you only have so much mana. I was mana, just about to right? say yeah, yeah. Yes. So if, I if I was just using... If I was just using force speed for ten kilometers, I'm not even going to be able to use yeah. force even a force push, push yeah. for to like yeah, yeah. we don't take know a nap or yeah, we, and, and, the, and we don't know like what, what kind of drainage in a combat scenario or any of that. Yeah, sort like of are you stuff. concentrating on deflecting blaster bolts? Well, then or you can't run. Or, here's you know. always been one of my kind of thoughts is like if so. This has always been I, I can't remember if I read this as like a fan theory somewhere or something, but this idea that like Jedi are act- Jedi and Sith are actually always using the force during a battle passively and yeah it's yes. like a passive kind of like almost keeping each other's abilities at bay until they can find an opening to maybe like sneak a push in somewhere or like yeah you know that'll come up that actually comes up with the duel between Maul and yeah, Obi-Wan so that's, and that's, Qui-Gon at the end yeah, yeah. so we'll, uh, we'll get to that cool so then we get some shots of Theed which I really liked um, a lot of the the Nabu sort of visual art and oh, yeah. their material culture was felt yeah, very yeah. well developed and fleshed out yeah and i really appreciated it we'll get into it more um for this we, we might as well get into it now and and sure and uh for this part this is something me and christian go back and forth a lot about how the prequel trilogies were very much modeled after greek drama and uh mm. traditional greek plays and then that's obviously being represented in a very literal way yeah it's it looks very roman what I think a lot of the sets come shot in from Spain and Italy, but mostly Spain Italy. And, Italy. Yeah. and uh, the place where where um, Anakin and Padme eventually get married is also some island in uh, Sicily, off yeah. the coast of yeah, Sicily. Yeah, a lot of the like architecture that. and stuff is drawn directly from like Romantic Italian um, architecture. Yeah, aesthetically, it looks uh, really cool. Um, I I do want to quickly put something. Or like go on a little rabbit trail about the aesthetics. A huge criticism of a lot of people have about the prequels is how it doesn't look like the worn out cowboy galaxy. Oh of yeah, the, of the it definitely trilogy. goes away from it's the a big like, departure from the spaghetti western of yeah, of and the even in the originals. design of this, particularly yeah. the Naboo ships, yeah. is very that, sleek and and clean. I I like a more punk rock aesthetic myself as well, but like for me, it just makes Star Wars more of a real place. It makes that totally. galaxy yeah, yeah. more yeah. real. That it's like, yeah, Naboo's not some but poor Naboo backwater. Is but it Tatooine, also, so, which isn't Coruscant, and they all kind of have their own. And to address that criticism as well, it like it may it like the aesthetic makes sense to me because it's after the the galactic empire comes to power and then everyone else is like a rebel right like they're right. they're outcasts and it's, and it's it's kind of like post-apocalyptic yeah almost. yeah yeah whereas this is like pre all that this is like a thousand like millennia a long, more prosperous yeah, galaxy galaxy like why would it have that aesthetic yeah. right like whereas it makes more sense like post uh galactic empire um particularly on worlds where uh they're rebelling against the empire right so yeah. it, to me i like like it doesn't like like maybe people just were nostalgic for that but like it does make sense to not be so much that way i think we're all in agreement here that people who think the aesthetics of phantom menace are good are are just wrong so, so let's move on. <laughs> your opinions don't matter um neomoidians 
as I said, subspecies. What a I great th- transition there. <laughs> so, I, I had some interesting. I, I had a couple thoughts about. <laughs> That's a classic screen wipe if I've ever seen one. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were trying to stay on topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. So, so more visual art though. That, that's why it's related. Um, Neomoidians, subspecies of Duros, which are kind of like gray aliens in the Star Wars lore. They, they're one of the earliest uh, species to ever like uh, develop hyperspace travel and colonize other planets. And so it makes sense that Neomoidians, given their how long and constant their history is, that they would have a trade federation, right? That they would be at the Such head. a well-established no, I, I did not know species. that. Uh, uh, I didn't know that that... Yeah, so that's a fun bit of lore. Maybe for people who don't quite know the races, you're talking. You're referring to the two the the guys at the beginning. Yeah, coded <laughs> the coded uh, Chinese. Guys, yes, unfortunately. <laughs> so I didn't even notice that until I watched it this morning. <laughs> I was okay. like, oh man, they totally have like Asian accents. So they <laughs> are. So there's a lot of that in this. I'm so tempted to do a Neomoidian quote unquote <laughs> accent right now. It, I, it, like, is that how? Like, is that sort of like in reference? At, like, I'm trying to think of like the real world reference. Is that like the Silk Road kind of reference of like? I think it's more modern and is referencing like Chinese trade. Okay. Power, yeah, yeah. You know, granted, it's like the 1990s. I mean, it is. Right? Yeah. End of the 1990s, but uh, but yeah, you're talking about like Newt Gunray and his sidekick there. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. The guys with the, the bulgy eyes, long fingers. Um, yeah. So like what I re- what I really liked about them was. And I didn't really even notice this at first. Was that was another practical effect? Is they had a very heavily puppeted face, which I thought was was really yeah. cool. Yeah. And contrast that against some other aliens we see that we'll be <laughs> seeing soon that are mostly CGI. It's like uh, yeah, yeah. The, you guys should have stuck with puppets. That looked way better. Yeah. And it even like when you saw yeah. the Neomoidians walking next to humans, like you. It's sort of obvious how the costuming worked, that it was like a head on top of a head. Yeah. But it ends up making a really awkward, strange, alien-looking body. And and it's the same thing with their arms. Like, their hands are super long hands, but they're obviously just hands on top of hands. <laughs> yeah. But then with this smaller, regular human-sized torso, it makes them look very long and, like, long and alien. Yeah. So and there's actually... Grassile, the anatomical term is. <laughs> there was there was one scene I specifically remembered where I noticed that. I was like, holy crow, these guys are actually freakishly tall when they're all walking through um, Theed and Darth Maul is actually walking next to them. I was like, these guys are like a foot and a half above Darth Maul, who I would assume would be probably a good-sized presence, right? Yeah, Duros are known to be tall and skinny and as a kind of lanky. side yeah as a side of them the nimodians would be yeah as well and like you said like they are very much modeled after the gray aliens which is that nod that like they had early space travel so it could be them visiting us right now yeah, exactly kind of right mentality but uh no i i agree that you know that that's another big divergence that a lot of people uh don't like the prequels for is a you know too much cgi versus the classic puppeteering of the original trilogy yeah yeah and, uh, and I think, like like models and yeah exactly it goes across yeah, right? yeah. and I'll, I'll bring one more uh, nod that the prequels were to the the universe that's set up in the sequels is you see Duros in the in Chalmun's cantina on Moss Eisley they, yeah they're, they're there yeah right? they're one of the background shot they're characters, just a yeah. random background shot and then essentially that same species we get to see more what that out. culture totally yeah. fleshed out looks like. Yeah. In the Duros. yeah, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of alien species like, oh, I recognize that. Yeah, you know, even yeah. in the backgrounds of a lot of the shots, which is a consistency that feels familiar for yeah. you revisiting. You know, after so many years of Return of the Jedi, and then in nineteen, it was nineteen ninety nine that this came. Yeah, out? yeah, in nineteen ninety nine, returning to the galaxy, right? 
Yeah. And, and now to contrast that those cool aliens. Um, so Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are they're coming down off their nitrous high. You know, they're getting the wub, 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 wub in your ears. If you've ever been to the dentist and had a root canal, you, you know what that means. And uh, they're, they're real cranky and they want to get away from the droids on the forest floor. And we see some very bad aliens, <laughs> i.e. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> he really stands out. Bring him out already, hey? <laughs> That's where they meet him. There were some cool things about this forest scene. I really liked the music and um, showing all the landing craft and the hover tanks. Just like, and it's again that sort of nature versus the cold corporate machine literally grinding down yeah yeah just nature. like yeah taking out nature a little yeah. amazon force there for you yeah <laughs> that's some pretty fun symbolism yeah and the gungans are like like <laughs> basically native amazonians yeah. like being pushed out <laughs> or of their habitat jamaicans <laughs> yeah or jamaicans yeah <laughs> that comes up a lot in <laughs> We'll, we'll revisit that as we It's as funny we how, how things from 20 years ago age. You know? <laughs> like a fine milk. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I'm of two minds because like I, about the Gungan culture because I can, I mean, obviously I'm not Jamaican, <laughs> but it's like aside from Jar Jar, everything about the Gungans and actually Bots and Ass seems pretty cool. They, they have like, yeah, yeah. They have a pretty intense uh, military They've got some some butt kickers there. They've got some really interesting technology. Yeah, I think their technology is the most interesting. Yeah, but. and they're they seem very cool. It's just Jar Jar's. The only <laughs> it's a bad representative part. of them. So a good representation for for me. Um, kind of revisiting it, <laughs> I was I was thinking about Jar Jar, and it it almost just kind of made me sad. Specifically. Um, Honestly, the only note I had written down was Jar Jar's backstory. What a missed opportunity. <laughs> the way yes. the way they had him, like, just this clumsy oaf. Like, it could have been this cool banishment story and, like, kind of some of his forced humor. And now, one thing, though, that I think is unfortunately missed with just on the, like, outside of the uh, the universe kind of things for what Jar Jar actually brought to filmmaking as a whole in the industry. And it's actually really sad but he was actually the first completely CGI uh, like main character, character in a movie ever. Interesting. Oh, really? And it actually, like, that that could have actually been, like, such His a cool... His legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, a legacy that he actually... It's like people kind of just dismiss him because he's Jar Jar, but he actually had a huge impact in filmmaking as a whole. And actually, he's, like, one of the first characters that they started using motion capture I'm, for as I'm well. I'm sure there would be no Smeagol without Jar Jar. Yeah, yeah. Jar Jar's, like, the grandfather of all your favorite. Which is no why I love no. that Darth Jar Jar uh, kind of actually... We will do a whole thing scene. on Darth Jar Jar. We'll get into this a little bit more in this um, episode as well. Yeah, but it, it, it kind of made me sad that they just kind of turned him into... Because he actually... Could, there there's bones there yeah. that yeah he's totally a could have should have would have character where like he could have actually added a lot more to I think the uh, the story as a whole um, other than forced humor and a little bit of aged CG yeah. Uh, but yeah yeah I yeah I I think Jar Jar's character was like a total flop I think to any also people person. get a little ridiculous in how much they hate Jar Jar though uh, I, I will I will I go know. on a little bit it's pretty bad yes I agree I agree like honestly even watching it again I was, I was like, watching oh, it and I was man. thinking and I was like man I bet you could honestly just remove all of Jar Jar's scenes from the movie and I feel like you not a whole lot would be affected 
um, in yeah. terms of pushing the plot forward. Well, they they needed to like introduce the Gungans and stuff. With yeah. Him, so, but the, and a big thing too is Lucas always said he introduced Jar Jar for for the kids. For the kids, right? yeah. yeah. But yeah, even yeah. as a kid, because I was a kid when this came out, I did not like Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah. I just want that to be very clear. Yeah, I I don't remember being like super. Yeah, I mean, I was I was probably ten or eleven when it came out, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember it being super impressive. Attached to him. Yeah. You know, not at all, right? I, yeah. You know. Like, to me, it was like Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul are the coolest guys. Yeah. So. Um, two, two points kind of while we're talking about Gungans here and that were already previously brought up. Uh, the interesting thing that when you compared the, uh, the Gungans to like Amazonians and being like, you know, steamrollered by the Trade Federation, there is an interesting dynamic to there between the local Naboo and ideas of like... Uh, it's not just the Trade Federation that's pushing colonialism. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there is a whole. It's not. It, they reference it very loosely in the story. Yeah. But we don't really totally. Kn- I'm sure there's like outside material, but yes, we don't, there is. Yeah, we and don't totally know from the movie exactly the relation. We just yeah. know there's a strange relationship. Between yeah, it, them. it looks strained for some yeah. reason. We don't know exactly why, and there is that whole like idea of like. Um, you know, colonialism and, and, and Native American culture. I think it was it like, so Boss Nass in one scene, like, um, s- sort of made reference to Queen Amidala humbling herself to uh, uh, to the Gungans. And he sort of, I can't remember, but something to the effect of like, oh, you're not like you don't see trying to be, bigger. yeah, seeing yourself as bit better than us, right? So that must be the dynamic that, they, is that play like yeah. so who knows what exactly yeah and there are obviously very racially segregated cultures like, yeah, you don't yeah. see any gungans in Thede and you don't see any well, humans th- with the gungans well i think just by mere fact that gungans like live be underwater. in the water <laughs> yeah. they like, they very much could be yeah, um, yeah. biological it, reasons yeah it's it, not but, necessarily like a like there, but if you dig into the actual stigma, yeah. the the lore there is a very strange relationship between humans and gungans on naboo okay um, and a lot of that comes from outside material, but it is loosely yeah, referenced. Yeah. And then the other thing I really, we might as well hit the nail on the head with the racial coding thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it does keep coming up Yeah, and it is a criticism of modern audiences of, of, uh, yeah, of, of episode pre- one. Yeah. Uh, one, I just want to say that, uh, I think Lucas was just trying one making real life references in a lot of cases, like with the trade federation, he was referencing China, I believe. Yeah. Um, so his whole political, like, it was more political than it was racial in that sense. Uh, there are other ones that come up that are definitely like raise some eyebrows for sure. <laughs> and I mean, there, there's a whole there's a whole side uh, quest you could go on about myths of like other cultures, particularly enemy cultures, being represented in very grotesque, caricatured ways. Yeah. Yeah. Of like, you know strange tales of of like africans who are gigantic and have no head but their their face is in their stomach and they they eat people and all these kinds of crazy monsters that people invent about other cultures and that's how they're represented and then when you you do that again on screen but you're just translating chinese into these alien duros those pneumonians <laughs> yeah those lines start to get blurred a little bit you're yeah. like what are we what in, in his defense, I will say that's the only cultures we have for references are human cultures when we're talking about trying to And that's the other thing I was going to say is... An yeah. alien civilization, but, it's going to look like a human civilization. And by that time, you know, like the Naboo, you, like you said, they reference a lot of Italian and Renaissance architecture yeah. and things. So it was, you know, translating what's supposed to be something different and especially Star Wars being largely, at least until recently, marketed to Western audiences... 
Yeah. Trying to say, oh, this is a different culture and then referencing, like you said, a human culture that they're just trying to I w- I would overlay say, on that mask. I would say it's fair to say it's like a negative stereotype that, that was represented. And I don't I wouldn't go so far as to say it was racist. I just think it was like maybe a negative stereotype represented. Well, that wasn't necessarily it's case by case. Yeah, yeah. There's only really like three Gungan characters that we actually meet. There's there's Jar Jar. Boss Nass and that general and that that Carples. general, yeah. Captain Carpels, Carpels, yeah. yeah. and he see, he seems legit. Like Captain Carpels is dope. His mustache he's is like sweet. competent. <laughs> yeah, but Boss Nass and uh, Jar Jar kind of seem like buffoons. Yeah. So. Yeah. The the other thing too, and actually, the Neomoidians seem like cowards. Like yeah, yeah. spineless yeah. worms, right? Yeah, yeah. And they only care about profit and what. Yeah, yeah. and are, are they scared of danger? Do you, That's yeah, why yeah. they have do robots. Do you think it's do their fair to say though that perhaps like? It wasn't necessarily intended. In to some be cases, it were um, like definitely like I think with the Trade Federation, he's referencing China. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it so does too. Seem I that think way. that that one for sure. There's also one, yeah. there is also um, the other thing I'm going to say too is actors. Right, the actor that actually portrayed Jar Jar was a Jamaican actor. Oh, okay. was he? <laughs> yeah. Did so he, Ahmed, did he do the voice? Uh-huh. Ahmed, Ahmed Best. Ahmed Best. I'm not believe, sure if he's actually. I thought I thought he was from the UK. I again fact I could check be me wrong. Well, he could be like Jamaican. Oh, he was born in New York. But oh, he's, I don't okay. know what so his, every, know what everyone his ancestry is equally is wrong. Like. Um, but he provided the voice for Jar Jar, regardless. Yeah. And yeah. So whatever inflection or caricature that you know, maybe it was at at Lucas's direction or whoever was in charge of of that. So I'm just reading his uh, background while I'm speaking <laughs> at the same time. It's kind of difficult. Um, I for, will say though. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. For me, though, I mean, th- this discussion is part of the meta story of of Star Wars. But uh, who yeah, knows yeah. what an author's specific intent when he was For writing sure. a specific totally. thing was? That's a good point. How much do I really care? The answer is I don't really care. If it's if it's racist, that's bad for him, I guess. And it's not inspiring me to be racist. I don't think it should inspire you to be racist. <laughs> oh, jeez. I was I was getting real close. To I don't know if anybody was watching science fiction. I don't know. Movies. I hate Jar Jar a lot, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, can I, I be racist against Gungans? I've been I've been reading um The Republic by Plato recently and I'm in the section where he's outlining the the kinds of um literature people in his perfect society should be um consuming and Star Wars definitely wouldn't make the cut. <laughs> but uh anyway, to get back to the film, Gungan City, pretty cool conceptually. These, yeah, these, yeah. these giant bubbles of, with these like semi-permeable force fields is like yeah. a really far out there kind of sci-fi idea. I think. Yeah, the Gungan, the Gungans, kind of as a whole. To me, it was like good and bad. I, like I said, I like the tech. I didn't love like the character portrayals of them, but. It, you know, it is what it is. And here the green screens to me start to get really loud. It's like, like when he's talking to Boss Nass and stuff like it yeah. really looks like a green. You're on, just on a soundstage. Yeah. Bringing it back to Greek drama again. They should have just gone the whole Greek drama route and just done it on a stage with no with no props at all. That would have been more realistic. And speak to the, to the my, camera as the audience. My mind's eye would have uh, come up with something better. With lots of these and those. <laughs> That's right. So, um, in, that's defen- not Greek in defense drama, of though, George, Jordan, that's me, British. In, in defense of George in this uh, whole, because I mean, when you look back at kind of just the prequels as a whole, that's like you kind of get these. There's there's really 
similar themes that people are upset with him and one of those being the blatant overuse of CG but on, in in his defense on that part I do you I almost w- respect the the risk he's taking in trying to push the boundaries of what computers can do at that time I I absolutely agree with you it's like because and and here's here's one of my things is that there is actually some CG in the movie that is actually pretty good like I'm I'm I, I know we're skipping kind of ahead here, perhaps, and I'm sure we're going to get to it at some point, but the pod racing is like, one, the CG in the pod racing is freaking believable. Even even today, like I was looking back and I was like, man, the CG and the green screens almost don't line up, which <laughs> is weird. So I, I like sometimes I wonder, like, were they on like a time constraint and they just rush some of this stuff and they're like, oh, people just might not notice. Right. Well, George Lucas being who who he is and growing up in the time he grew up. Uh, I'm sure one of his favorite films is Spartacus, which has a very legendary chariot racing yeah, yeah. scene. Right. So I'm sure the pod racing. It was definitely thing. inspired by chariot racing. I, mean, yeah. I think you mean Ben Hur. Is, is it Ben Hur? Yeah, Ben Hur. Yeah, 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 ben Hur yeah. has yeah. a chariot race. Right. But, but I, I think like he probably ha- was planning that scene for five years. Yeah. <laughs> so so th- that's what I'm saying though. Is it's it's almost unfortunate that some of the really good CG gets passed over by some of the actually like pretty whenever you're dating CG. yeah whenever you're dating old movies like yeah. cg is always going to be a questionable period. i think it holds up but i like i'm you just got to compare it to what was out at yeah, the time it's just yeah. comparing it to today totally. is always like totally. well of course things are going to be better today yeah i mean like right right after that like a year after that movie came out the matrix came out right and that yeah. was pretty revolutionary but they didn't use nearly as much yeah and right? to me it's the the green screens some That's, of the green screens are just like why are you using a green screen there? Like, just use it. Like, when they get like to Tatooine eventually. Set. Yeah, they yeah. get to Tatooine, and they've got real sets at that point. And I'm like, that looks great. Practical effects are and awesome. This, Don't move away from them. the space battles look great. Totally, yeah. yeah. So there's some CG where it's like, that really holds up till today. And then it's just the blatant green screen. Sometimes I'm like, oh, another one. Again, also again in defense of Lucas, like you said, he was he was always pushing the film industry. Yeah. Back in the day, he was pushing it with the models. Now he's yeah. pushing it with the CG. And so that's a credit so, I, I like to give yeah, to him. Yeah, to him, it just means he's a trailblazer. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And I think sometimes that gets missed in some people's like hate of him. And what it I was almost, it, I I agree it was overdone. Like yeah, absolutely. But like I I think it is a fair point that he was sort of pushing the envelope. With yeah, what and could watch be done. modern. This was a big thing for me. Like watch modern movies. Oh yeah, watch the Avengers. Yeah, watch any MCU. People complain about it's just better though. I do. That's why I haven't watched a superhero movie in like fifteen years. (laughs) I'll watch movies that came out nineteen sixties or earlier. (laughs) But yeah, I I I think sometimes the credit is due that maybe sometimes he doesn't get. Um, Yeah, and I genuinely think he's. So a lot of the kind of the backstory and and I was watching a lot of. like the making ofs and stuff. And he was kind of like, yeah, like I'm genuinely making a movie I want to make. He kind of didn't care what other people told him to do and just literally took risks. And sometimes they worked like in the first trilogy yeah. and sometimes they not, Did not, not work. so much. <laughs> so then some other cool things after uh, getting the, what's it called? The bongo. Is that what he called the, the submarine? Uh, yeah. Something like, I don't know. A bongo or yeah. something. I think that's what it's called. So we, we get a whole bunch more cool um, neb, or I think they call them Nubian. Actually, yeah. if you're from Naboo, you're yeah. you're Nubian. So we get a bunch of Nubian marine life, which is fun. There's um, 
that scene was unnecessary. What scene? <laughs> Going through the planet core. It's through all the water. Sorry, the planet core thing I thought was a little ridiculous. Yeah, it just it's, it's a runtime and just just like just L- having no, fish you're gonna eat go each through other. a planet's core. Yeah, <laughs> like like it's, how it's long cool, did this take you for it's one? Cool, but it's all, and that one I, I think it was totally just like a CG flex. Like now we have CG <laughs> monsters and a, like, an adventure. But here's yeah. some, here's I, some cool I know CG I know they're using though. it for yeah. like yeah for like some flair. But I I couldn't get over the going through a planet's core. <laughs> like it really messes with the idea. Yeah. It's no the science behind it. Was there any like molten lava? No, or no, no, no. Okay, there was all water. So we need to know about the planet Naboo first of all. Naboo is known to be super porous and have lots of underground under under the surface channels. water channels. Yeah. But the but the center it has to have like some kind of center of mass, right? So my thought like, though, my thought on that as I. I Explaining that away was kind of like maybe maybe they call it the core, but it's not actually. Or you the like core. you and you're not transitioning straight through because the other thing is gravity. Once you hit the middle of the core, would you just like float and then get to the other side and then gravity really like you know? Um, but but the thing is the force of the reason why it's hot in a core is because the force the of pressure, gravity yeah yes, is, is pulling it in. Yes. So like, there's no way that. There could be gravity on a planet without like a molten core. No, I don't. Th- no, I don't think that's true. I think maybe it's an ice core. I think because there are planets without molten yeah, cores. Yeah, those planets. Even well, technically, our core may or may not be molten. I think it's a solid core surrounded by a molten. Well, layer. whatever the case may be, like there has to be like like a pretty large. There would mass. be a lot of pressure, and there'd be a lot of heat. Is the two things whatever yeah. that heat looked like. Sure. Okay. Could incinerate you or kill you, or like you know, would the water but going at the why core? You need a bongo. <laughs> right. But you can explain that away with technology. Is exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> Could you? The other thing I was gonna say is maybe they dip into the core in a U shape instead of going through. Yeah, I don't. Know. Or they like go, I said, they, they go probably down, maybe, but through it. They but call the other it the core, but it's like yeah. but the other thing is even in like a very fast submarine that would take you like days. Unless it had a hyperdrive. Hyperdrive underwater. (laughs) Unless we didn't really see how long Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon spent swimming to Gunkin City. (laughs) So maybe they they got there quickly. Maybe they they skin dived like, you know, 10 kilometers. (laughs) Well, the the other thing about that, them swimming to the bottom is like, is just water pressure too. Like, I wondered about that. You'd probably get, like, if you didn't have a suit, the... Yeah, I know, but that force bubbles. I think I think <laughs> I the I think the force largest pressurization. <laughs> I think I think the deepest skin dive is over a kilometer. Oh, is underwater. it? Okay. I do think I'm gonna, like it's it's weird. Like in one shot, they're at like clearly a lake, like yeah, a very clear. And the next scene, they're like at the bottom of what looks like an ocean. But yeah. that's part. Of, that's I'm part of Naboo's geology. Yeah, right? I'm guessing it's just like underwater uh, or under like like. Uh, there's huge underwater lakes. Underneath. That's literally what yeah. it is. Yeah. Like the they have, okay. they have cross sections of Naboo okay. that show oh, like cool. how porous the surface is and these massive bodies of water. Yeah, yeah. It's that's very cool. water heavy, but it's hidden. Yeah, that's yeah. why they have so many swamplands and that's just the surface you're seeing and lakes. Yeah. But if you go underneath, there's just like channels and channels and like massive like ocean sized channels. Yeah. So anyways, moving along. I've been spending a lot of time with the, the biology of Star Wars. So this was... It was really screaming at me in this scene was one of one of the many things that tries to kill their bongo at first like it's it's just it's just all head and tooth and you, i think it's like an angler fish type yeah thing. but then i see that it's got a segmented body and it's got 
six legs, little legs, and it's actually some kind of crustacean. So that was that was fun how, like, at first you think it's one type of animal, and then it reveals itself to be something completely different yeah. uh, morphologically. But what it gets eaten by, Qui-Gon says, there's always a bigger fish. But yeah. that's clearly not a fish that eats <laughs> the crustacean. <laughs> it's obviously a marine reptile. And that is quite different from fish <laughs> uh, evolutionarily. That's like plesiosaurs and that kind of thing. Those are marine reptiles. And that's the kind of kind of animal that, well, I think it, that he, ate it. So I think I he was think, just like making a... Actually, Sam, I'm reading the page of the Sando Aqua Monster, and it is actually a mammal. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Still not a fish. <laughs> Yeah, and now we're being pedantic. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Okay, I hate episode one. Their fish marine biology is all wrong. So I liked it before I put my faith in Qui Gon's science when he would talked about <laughs> Metachlorians. Uh, Maybe made Metachlorians up. Midi Chlorians and life being around every star. But now about because of that fish comment, <laughs> can't trust anything. I he can't says. trust anything he says. Um, so just lots of fun marine megafauna in uh, that that scene, and also the. Are they Eopies? Is that the mounts that uh, the Gungans ride? Uh, and then they have those huge like Oliphant things that carry their shield generators. Those are a lot of fun. Um, I noticed a tiny cotter of gray dro droids on the Neomoidian ship or on the Trade Federation ship at one point. I don't think I've ever seen those droids before or since. They're not pit droids. I don't know if you guys know anything about them. I didn't. Uh, I didn't catch that. Just one of those many uh, fun. If you blink, you miss it. Kind of details that's all throughout the Star Wars franchise, and then we get to see Goth Queen Amidala. Uh, she's in her nice black dress with uh, black feathers. You know, like a crow talking to some Neimoidians about how subjugated and oppressed her people are. Yeah, She's very her, sad. It's a mourning outfit. Exactly. I like that. She's the the patron the patron saint of all goths because <laughs> she also falls in love with uh, the romantic bad boy, of course, <laughs> and, and Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. I was I was kind of thinking uh, like a geisha almost. Yeah, like when a, we talked about the historical like a very, references of Star yeah. Wars, that's where Lucas drew a lot of her design from. Yeah. But Sam, I think, is referencing specifically to her dark outfit okay. from her sad period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like how uh, Queen Victoria mourned what's-his-name for the rest of her life or something. She always dressed in black after yeah. he died. Yeah. I do think that's actually it, though. She's mourning the loss of liberty yeah. of her people because all her other outfits are very bright. But I'm, I'm glad you brought up the geisha thing, though, in terms of the there's sort of a mixture in uh, the... Nubian culture between that sort of Italian Renaissance and uh, Japanese elements. I think some of the Nubian soldiers are very reminiscent of samurai. Yeah, they kind of have a samurai aesthetic. They have like the sort of the pauldrons and sort of the down facing triangle, and their helmets are even kind of flared out, flared yeah. like a, uh, a traditional samurai helmet. Yeah, and uh, and on the Renaissance front, a lot of the civilians are dressed in like buttoned 
uh, fl- uh, um, Palpatine, for example. He's you would almost you can almost miss the detail that Palpatine is also Nubian. Like Naboo, yeah. Naboo is yeah, yeah, yeah. He dresses planet. like an yeah. He's, from he's yeah. the senator from Naboo. He's, yeah, and yeah. I I told as a kid. So as a kid, that totally full, flew over my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, full yeah. like full uh, transparency. I used to just fast forward all the politics scenes and <laughs> cut right to the action scenes the in uh, episode one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's like a ton of stuff. That I was like, oh, that's crazy. I, and it's I never picked up. And on just that. to sorry to, to touch on that too is this is something I actually did really like about uh, the Phantom Menace was it, it was a way more complex political story totally uh, than than like the original trilogy. You know, and Empire I, Bad I, it, Rebels Good. Empire Bad Rebels Good. Yeah, <laughs> it, there was still that, but it. Like and it just like it. I thought it said it because I like more like uh, universe expanding stuff. Like to me, that's the kind of stuff that I really like. I don't, <clears throat> I don't like. I can forgive a lot of things. Like I can forgive a Jar Jar Binks and stuff if it has like kind of cool um, Machiavellian plays from like Palpatine and stuff like that. Right, totally. like. I just thought it was cool. It's kind of cool. Like, oh, there's this like galactic senate, and there's like there's this like um, uh, uh, political bureaucratic class that it, like they're not getting anything done, and it, it sort of like feels like very real world politics in yeah. a lot of ways. Which was entirely what Lucas was. Yeah, yeah. It was very intentional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's just kind of it makes it in some ways it makes the whole setup like very much more believable from yeah. what was happening yeah. so and I, I really like the world building they did to uh around hats in the phantom menace i could do a whole podcast <laughs> <on> hats <laughs> like new gun rays gun rays hat his his uh friend's hat yeah. boss nass's weird conch cell hat all of uh amidala's crazy headwear headwears Obi-Wan's ridiculous Jedi braid. How crazy would it be to have a braid that long but a crew cut? So <laughs> if there's any fans who've sported such a hairstyle, please share it with us. One is sitting right here. <laughs> yeah, How long Christian. was it, though? Was it 18 oh, inches? No, it wasn't. That in, in high school, Christian had, was it a mohawk? A mohawk on top and a Jedi braid on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Behind and my that ear. That is, to this day, my favorite. I, I, I'm pretty sure you deleted most of the photos I, of it. There's got to be one floating there's, around. There's some but floating wasn't around like 18 inches. Cause that's, no, it wasn't no, that. That's, no, that's, that's the braid yeah. Obi-Wan rocks. And I like that. And uh, nobody's paying homage to Obi-Wan with, yeah. the, with yeah. his braids. Yeah. <laughs> I think it lasted like, what, like three weeks? <laughs> Was if that. Anakin's pod racer helmet. Um, the hats that the Jedi <laughs> star, that the Naboo starfighters wear are pretty cool. Uh, of course, not technically hats, but um, Darth Sidious and Darth Maul with their hoods, the very, cowls, yeah, very shrouded. What about Darth Maul's first. horns? And I was gonna bring up Darth Maul's horns, kind of <laughs> like a crown, you know, crown of thorns, kind of playing on that devil imagery. I think Darth Maul was in part. Um, created just to sell Halloween costumes because that, that was a summer release, of course. And so obviously that had to have been the highest selling uh, Halloween costume that year was Darth Maul. So anyway, hats, your guys' thoughts on uh, hats in uh, Phantom Menace? Yay or nay? You like them? <laughs> I have no real thoughts. We'll ask the audience to send their uh, feedback yeah. if they want a whole episode of Sam talking about hats. <laughs> I, could do, I could do a hats cast. Hats and helmets. <laughs> um, at, I think it's at, is it at that point or pretty close to then on, since we're on the topic of Maul, um, that he appears pretty around, around, around that time. 
Yeah, yeah, um, he he appears in holographic form. Yeah, yeah, uh, next behind to Darth Sidious. Sidious. I'm and my I just want to, to me, one of the things that kind of I, uh, in, in rewatching it all, just the uh, the difference in the introduction of Darth Maul versus the introduction of a Kylo Ren, who is to this day for me personally, who? Kylo Ren. Who? Ben Swallow. Yes. Um, my most oh, hated. Ben Solo. My, Solo. My most hated uh, Star Wars character um, in the entire franchise for me personally. Um, who? <laughs> um, but just how menacing and how imposing Darth Maul feels in in one shot. And like he's clearly introduced as the bad guy. He's there's some there's some fear to him. Clearly, some training has gone into him. And, and I, oh no, I I was about to. I'll I'll, com- I'll complete this thought. Sorry, but it, it adds on to what you were saying. Be my so, guest. Uh, <laughs> the, the yellow the yellow eyes of the Sith, right? So the first time we see that is in um, Earth Mall. Yeah. Nope. Is it? Did Sidious have red eyes? Uh, yellow eyes. When the lightsabers cross and he's sitting on the throne, his yeah. eyes open yeah. up and he's got full on yellow and eyes. So that that's an, an another cool callback to the Return the, of the Jedi. To the design yeah. the visual design of uh previous movies is Darth Maul. We get to see those Sith eyes again. He's yeah. so freaking cool. He's he very is cool. He is Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. And so uh Part so I'm always confused about the whole um, Padme, handmaiden, switcheroo, the whole parent okay. trap. Thing. I got a very good cool story <laughs> thing, for you, but but part of it is her voice. Like it seems like in the first scenes, Queen Amidala's like voice is like she has a different accent in every <laughs> in every <laughs> scene almost. And then once she's revealed as uh, Padme Amidala, it gets a little bit more normalized but then it sort of makes sense because we see in real life like queen elizabeth very much has a queen voice that i don't imagine she talks to her kids in and when amadal is addressing, like a public voice and yeah. a private voice yes. when, when she's addressing the public she has also or like the republic senate rather she has that very stilted again weird like it almost sounds south african sometimes and i get sometimes that vibe it's too British, yeah and sometimes it's kiwi kind of like <laughs> I don't know what is going on with it. So, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. So I'm going to connect that idea to a big, big, broad idea of the acting in Star Wars. And there's a lot of trivia that's tied to this, which is actually very cool. First thing, the uh, the whole interplay between Padme and her handmaiden. They are two different actresses. Yeah. Right. One of which is Kiera Knightley. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, she's a Kiera Knight- Knightley is the decoy. Is it the decoy? Yeah. And Kiera Knightley is British. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that might be that coming through. Yeah. Because. Uh, but then the, the accent, like, I'll, I'll use my reference as Amidala to the Senate. Like, I don't think that's. Is that a British accent? That was but, Kira Knightley, though. But here's the thing we don't know who was who in what scenes. And Kira Knightley doesn't even remember who she was in exactly. what scenes. Exactly. That's my thing. So they, cool. I think it's that all is so jumbled cool. up. Yeah. And actually, I don't know either. I, I honestly yeah. cannot tell you. Which, that's so cool. I, I swore it was Kira Knightley. I, and, their own mothers mix them up on set. That just means they did such a good job that, like, they even fooled us and themselves. And so, even when when they're both without makeup, you can tell the difference. But in that movie, shot for shot, do you know which shots are are uh, man? I keep thinking Padme. I, I don't feel know the like no. I feel like um, I maybe I have to like no, Natalie, Portman. Portman. Natalie Portman. Go go back, but I feel like until until she was like actually revealed, Natalie Portman was 
uh, she was just like the handmaiden the up whole in, time. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be. No, 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 what it no. Was. In no, the one but scene where Anakin that? goes uh, on Coruscant to speak to Padme, and they're like, "Oh, Padme's running errand." Right. She's totally. Oh, is that she's Natalie? totally? That's totally Padme in Queen Amidala's. So I think she does address the Senate. Oh, okay. May, because maybe when I'm wrong, Anakin yeah. moves to go to the Jedi Temple and he's not sure if he'll ever see her again. Chris, yeah, why yeah, didn't yeah. you bring the whiteboard? <laughs> yeah. I honestly can't tell, man. I, yeah. Yeah, they just didn't make it that clear, but you might be right about that. Yeah. yeah. Are they switching back and forth? Or yeah. Are they consistently segregated roles until yeah, the very yeah. end and they yeah, switch yeah. back? I really don't know and I can't say. I personally had no issue with it. But that I think ever. that has something to do with cool. what you're pointing out about how the voice changes. Is yeah. that they're not even like, the same they're person. literally different people. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe they are. It, like it's very fluid on yeah. when, who's who. And they were both actually very young actresses. Yeah, too, yeah. At the time. 14. Yeah, which I didn't yeah. realize because in my mind, you know, Natalie Portman's always. How yeah, old yeah. was Padme supposed 14. to be? 14. 14. Supposed yeah. to be 14. Anakin's yeah. nine and she's 14. Which that age gap isn't that crazy if you yeah. think about it. My if wife you, is yeah. similar age gap. <laughs> I did not model my life. Did you, did you meet when you were nine and 14? <laughs> no, we did not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, Which is start like another, so, like, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Just George Lucas and his weird uh, sexual relationship. That's what I was going to bring up. <laughs> here's, like <laughs> incest and <laughs> here's how this pa- is, this is Yes. Here's how this is canon Star Wars, though. <laughs> Like that Greek drama thing. What happens in in Greek drama? Incest. What happens in the first Star Wars? Incest. Now you're officially reading too much. And the incest doesn't really get started in both of them until the second movie. (laughs) It rhymes. It rhymes. (laughs) Anyways. I digress. Um... Anyways, tying it back to that whole broader picture, a lot of criticism too leveled at this movie is the acting, particularly child acting. We all know uh, Jake Lloyd's often, you know, took a lot of flack in his. That youth. is not fair. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think he. He he had some. He definitely had some cringy lines for sure. Yeah, I thought his lines it's were more the terrible than the actual. The writing, than but the he. I didn't think he was that. Just watching it again, and for like a five-year-old man, he was like he very was five. He wasn't five. <laughs> well, he he was looked also nine. was eight or nine. What? Yeah, yeah he, he looks yeah. like a tiny little. He kid. looks like yeah, freaking just a, just a little boy. Yeah, yeah. His, I think yeah. his performance is. What you'd expect fine. from a nine-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I doubt probably, I would have done yeah. any better in the same scenario. No way. I could barely read when I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> you can still barely read. So. Yeah. Um, but, but also drawing that back to people like when I saw Amidala and stuff acting, I was like, that doesn't... Like Natalie Portman, I believe, is an Oscar-winning actress. Keira Knightley's held her own and been nominated for a couple actors. They're good, talented actresses. Yeah. yeah. And even yeah, Liam Neeson. Yeah. They're yeah. all, you know, uh, Ewan McGregor. Yeah. You know, they're all really talented actors and actresses. So any like criticisms of the acting of episode one, I think goes back it up to the writing, to, the to writing, writing and, and direction. direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the same thing could be said, Hayden Christian too. He gets a lot of flack for his <laughs> portrayal of Anakin, but he acts in other shows and he's a pretty decent actor himself. Man, I'm going to defend him. Hayden Christensen did a good job portraying Anakin. But again, yeah. it goes Honest, back to the I, lines and the direction. Honestly, yeah. I, I think he portrayed... That that's I okay. we'll get yeah, that I would love to episode. yeah I would yeah. love but, I, but it just kind of ties back to the love um, me some Hayden the uh, the direction I think he he really portrayed the exact the angst, kind of yeah. incel neck beard I would expect <laughs> to be responsible for genocide <laughs> <laughs> wow 
Uh, so then uh, they, the Jedi steal a Nubian freighter, and uh, it gets shot up by some battle droids in space, and we get some hot astromech action. R2-D2 and all his friends go out to the outer hull and start re- repairing stuff. And that's another cool bit of uh, world belt building. We get to see how universal these like R2 units are on spaceships and what exactly they do other than like provide little chirps and squawks in the <laughs> background. Yeah. So that was cool. Then we go to Tatooine. We, of course, get some Sith foreshadowing. And then, oh, one of the, the brilliantly written lines, uh, are you an angel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, yeah, so terrible. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, there's no saving that one. <laughs> that was, but to follow up with that, there was some interesting world building is that angels are apparently something that myths are talked about in the Star Wars yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he even name checks a planet. Did you, anybody do any research the, on The moons of Bogdan? The moons of, <laughs> was it Bogdan or Yago? I heard Yago. Oh, I, Yago, yeah. That's what I wrote down. Yeah. No, you're right. But I don't know if angels play a big part in any sort of uh, EU background stuff. But that was interesting. And I remember thinking, even when I first heard that line, I was like, that first line was awful. It made me want to crit- die when I'm, I'm nine of embarrassment. <laughs> but uh, the follow-up, I, I want to know about the moons of Yago and what the, sp- the spacers are telling young Annie about. Here's the and thing. Why are they hanging out with <laughs> I, I, this young boy? <laughs> here's 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 something. Shmi, though, by the way, I'm gonna get into Shmi. <laughs> <laughs> so boy, she's not a good mom. <laughs> I I wonder though, is he portraying that kind of like just that curious nine year old kid, that very forward, just uh, Says inquisitive? Yeah, doesn't really. Yeah, timed. just inappropriately forward is the only way to think. Now, I I will say. At at nine, he's he had far more game than I do at nine years <laughs> old. On chicks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way out of his league. Oh yeah, um, but he like goes to her apartment later. On. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yo, yo, baby, <laughs> I'm gonna be My- gone for a while, but when I get back, you and me, song. <laughs> but yeah, I I wonder if if kind of and maybe it was missed in again chalked up to some of the 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 writing but maybe the angle they were going for that it just didn't quite hit the mark on was that inquisitive kind of little boy who's just gonna very forward you know what i mean so obi-wan and qui-gon uh get some space ponchos somewhere i don't know they're the only people who are wearing those ponchos (laughs) just just, just gonna gloss right over that one (laughs) all right that that idea ended right there there's just there's another one of those classic i want to talk about ponchos You're all about the the clothing. Of you should Star just Wars. have an offshoot where you just discuss costume design in the Star Wars universe. There will be an episode on that. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Well, it does seem the continuity seems weird to me because none of the other people from from Naboo have the ponchos, but Obi Wan and Qui Gon very clearly only have their robes, which are not ponchos when they're on Naboo, and then. They, they have these ponchos. I think that poncho is so sick. Qui-Gon's I, poncho is so sweet. Okay. I, lo- I love the Jedi poncho. Do you want to know that it's a callback? To Where'd it? they come from? Luke had a poncho on Tatooine. Did he? Yeah. So I imagine it's a local thing that they're putting on to try and blend in with the local culture. Boom, world building right there. Done. Okay, let's keep moving. But uh, there's a crazy no-neck alien with really janky teeth, and he's like pink and has these crazy black eyes. Also, mostly puppets. Tatooine. I remember he just uh, 
stuck out to me as a particular monstrosity that was like that's a, that's a great alien right there not cgi'd mm-hmm. he was fun and then um when annie brings qui-gon back and and uh, the other the other strangers from outer space uh back to it, his house shmi does not seem perturbed this isn't strange to her at all that her young son brings a bunch of uh, weirdos back to her place. And then we also see in Annie's room a lacrosse stick and a high ally scoop, I believe, which are two very dangerous sports, which Shmi allows Anakin to play. <laughs> in addition to pod racing, in addition to losing her and her son gambling, <laughs> that's why they're slaves. She gambled them no, into no, slavery. No, 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 no. I don't think that's what happened. That's what Annie said. His mom lost them in yeah. gambling? No, I thought they were already slaves and they were lost as property no. in a gambling match. I'm pretty sure. It was her. Mm, I'm pretty sure pretty Christians. Sh- no. That's were, what I got. I, at no point did I think that no, she was an addict gambler. Into I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure she did. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. Yeah. I'd be hard-pressed to... Hot take. Yeah. Everyone anyway, starts fact-checking this. While you guys prove me right... Uh, Anakin, another problem with him is I think he's ludicrously OP'd. I don't care how many uh, midi-chlorians he has. Him winning that pod race at nine years old, insane. Him destroying the uh, battle station in a ship he's never flown before. So it it says Shmi was sold into slavery at an early age in 41 BBY so so before Anakin yeah. was what's even the bored. line from the script then she was she so they were previously owned and they were lost i believe to Watto and yeah. she yeah. was already a slave and then she gave birth to Anakin, Anakin in servitude which would have he would have been born into servitude yeah yeah i'm guessing so, is, is yeah they were lost and traded as property not yeah. She gambled herself and her son into property. Well, stay tuned in the ongoing segment of Sam's right and everyone else on this podcast is wrong. Including the writer and director of Star Wars. Uh, I, will, I will find the line that justifies what I said, but uh, we're, we're running long already, so I'll keep just, things Just moving. quickly to run back to Padme, um, she actually says a really interesting... I think uh, it's actually really cool for her character um, at the discussion at the dinner table um, where you kind of see this... Uh, this trust in the Republic when there's talk when she's she's just blown away by slavery as she's a whole. naive yeah very naive at that point and I, honestly I love Padme's character arc throughout the entire prequel series to uh, epi- episode three she literally says my favorite line in the entire in the entire prequels um, this is how Liberty dies this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause I just I think it's such a cool you introduce that um, just unrelenting faith in the Republic and what they can do and you almost start to see it crumble right there uh, at the Senate uh, meeting when she's trying to gain all of the support. And it's, I think it's just a really interesting character development. It's yeah. kind of a journey that she goes on that uh, this night, I, I appreciate yeah. it for sure. Yeah, I don't know. That's a pretty good insight. And so then at the pod racing track after that scene, <laughs> we get some, some more gambling. And this is an interesting thing. Christian made me think about this as we were working on a script for another episode today. Is that was there really a reason for Qui Gon to let Anakin like very clearly risk his life? <laughs> um, you know, I think I think <clears throat> that's kind of explained just by like, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, uh, by like the uh, like Qui Gon has a very 
strong sense that like there's death he has like a destiny and there's a destiny in the force and so i think he's like very much like he doesn't believe in chance that nothing happens by accident and so these circumstances are the way they are because the force wills it and so if anakin died in a horrible pod racing accident it's as the force wills it he could be that deterministic it's possible and that adds to the grayness of qui-gon and yeah yeah. if that's the case though my point still stands isn't that a terrible decision <laughs> like i don't know it's the will of the force like the yeah. theology of jedis is kind of interesting yeah I and and i i also thought it was uh it was fun well and foolhardy well i thought it was cool seeing honestly like i i thought this as a um another thought when watching just even like i was wondering them just happens chance land on tatooine like, is that the Force guiding Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan to finding Anakin there? That's, that's or, certainly what Qui-Gon thought. Exactly. And so I, I I, know you guys have touched on kind of the whole will of the Force and whether it has its own kind of uh, decisions and stuff. And I, I think that that's cool, potentially as a defense of p- perhaps the, the Force <coughs> does have a will, right? And it's making things work out however it's supposed to. Yeah. My, my contention is still that whether the force has a will or not and that's what qui-gon believes even if he I, believes anakin's gonna come out okay i I'm think still I, like <clears throat> i think the the more irris- his life no the more irresponsible thing was not that because like i said i think the justification of like the force has set up these circumstances as they are and he and as he was like discovering who anakin was he was learning that anakin was apparently very powerful with the naturally adept with using the force so maybe like i could see him being sort of like a little more at ease letting anakin take those risks uh uh um be that as it may later on in the film uh Qui-Gon, for some weird reason, takes Anakin <laughs> away from Coruscant <laughs> yeah. and brings him yeah. for a, back to a war zone. A war zone on Naboo. Yeah, the only reason he's going to Naboo is to fight a war. <laughs> like, why did he bring Anakin he's, away? Yeah. He's safe, even if he okay, we'll hold he's him at the Jedi out of Temple place. for now. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very out of that, place. That like went like. Again, that was something I, like I just noticed. I'm like, that makes no sense. And then he brings him to the battlefield and then tells him to stay put. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. After he brought him to danger. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, what was George Lucas thinking in the writing? It just did not make it. So, any you sense. know what? It was a contrivance. He was trying yeah, to get. It was very contrived. I think I. So, I actually found similarities between um, almost nods to the uh, other trilogies throughout that, like kind of a return of the Jedi esque feel where you got the multiple battles taking place at the same time. Yeah, that was definitely. Yeah. Personal. And so I yeah. think he was just trying to work in a space work battle. in. Yeah. And, and, and the, the way he blows up, um, the trade federation yeah. ship is also the very proton similar. torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah for yeah. sure. So was it needed? Probably not. Um, and not that it wasn't it was right. needed. It was just like unreal. Like it, it didn't make yes. sense within, yeah. even within the universe. Like, yeah. like, why would you bring this kid, you know, With like no soldiers? There's no purpose to bringing him. Yes. Right. Other than yeah. to risk his own life. Yeah. Okay. I have a bad track record of uh, risking children's lives in <laughs> yeah. battlefields. Fair but enough. We'll leave that there. So just, uh, <laughs> shit did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah. This, this <laughs> is the, a common theme that I'm constantly <laughs> criticizing you guys for is this, this, the Sith did nothing wrong. The empire's okay. Frank, you're you're misconstruing what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying about the Sith is that they are a a uh, what what's the word? They're a minority group. <laughs> they are. They are yeah. a, by definition minority All right. religious sect. All right. A maligned right. religious sect 
who was exiled and punished and hunted for their religious beliefs genocide yeah i was about to say uh you're i think you're 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 kind of glossing over some of the atrocities of war i'm not i'm not not saying none of that happened but my saying that they are a persecuted minority is not also saying that everything they do is good i'm just saying that is also a reality they're a persecuted minority those aren't mutually exclusive things (laughs) i can obviously acknowledge you can be a persecuted minority and do bad things as well those aren't mutually exclusive you seem to think that i think they are but i'm never saying that are we gonna skim over podcast uh, pod <laughs> racing? I'm just gonna no no. Okay, I, mean, I, I talked let's, about let's po- uh, let's keep going. We're running we're running long, long. so let's yeah. uh, let's keep pushing through. Should we just okay. cut right to the end battle? Uh, I love the spider throne that one of the Neomoidians rides on. He's got a chair on top yeah. of a spider droid. That's pretty fun. I want one. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, so what's this common good thing? Oh, so so the com I I didn't have time to research this, but I okay. think uh, the common good is a specific phrase in uh, Ayn Randian literature that comes up in uh, Atlas Shrugged. Is, is I read com- Atlas Shrugged fairly recently. Is I, it the common? There's another another I word don't that they call her using the common good. I I recall her like hating the common good yeah. or the idea of the common good but, but i almost think that I'll, I'll i'll research this and we'll put this in the uh one of the rare instances of sam being wrong okay but but, but any any case that that sentiment of the common good being something that is actually evil and yeah yeah and who, yeah. Sa- and who says that in this like well she uh, it's palpatine who's saying the people in the senate have no respect for the common good. That's the specific phrase yeah, yeah, he yeah. uses, right? So he, he's very much sort of Ayn Rand's nightmare of the the obsequious yeah, yeah. politician doing yeah, totally. things for the common good. But yeah, really, as long as it's for the common good, anything is justifiable. Right, precisely. Right. The ends always justifies the means. Which is exactly yeah. how Palpatine rises to power. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's cool. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Um uh anakin versus a council would be well oh, yeah. for a seven-year-old yeah uh what they do to him where they're like reading his mind and like oh, yeah, giving yeah. him this insane job interview and he's like <laughs> seven it's like what are you, what is happening that would be insane imagine when you were seven years old if like three teachers you've never seen before just like cornered you in a room and no started- no not just teachers like the heads of yeah, Oxford University, no, yeah, head I, of I, Oxford I, University, the head of Princeton, so that, and the head of, <laughs> and they just start like reading your mind and like <laughs> grilling you. Actually, to be fair, to justify that, going we very, I don't. Did we touch on midichlorians yet? Oh, oh we no. didn't. <laughs> but whether whether our opinions on midichlorians notwithstanding. Like he did have the highest ever recorded, so it could justify the, why yeah, the council. This could be would, like a child genius. Yeah, like why they'd want yeah. to see him. I just right? think and the way him. they talked to him and like antagonized him and read his mind seemed very that's inappropriate. Maybe, but it seemed like Jedi are like like they I know, they separate bad. kids from they're, their, they're, they're, from bad. Their <laughs> they're bad people. We've established. <laughs> No, I don't They're think horrible. it's outside of, of Jedi. Um, yeah, I don't think it's do a lot of evil stuff. With, within, within, it's like internally consistent. Is yes. what I'm saying. Yeah, it, they would it, do whether you like, see it as good. Or they yeah. would do because yeah. they're bad. Uh, the sky lanes of Coruscant. I want to highlight that. I found that to be a very effective visual element 
is that this is exactly what you would expect a place as sophisticated technologically and geologically, because Corazon, if you don't know, it doesn't necessarily come across in episode one. The entire surface of the planet is a gigantic city that's hundreds and yeah, hundreds yeah. Of, of stories above yeah. the ground. And it's it just has these sky lanes that you see in every scene in Corazon over their shoulders. There's just thousands and thousands of what would be today like taxis, helicopters. Just like air traffic, basically. Helicopters, yeah. Boeing 747s, ships of all different sizes is the point going in all different directions and it looks very crazy and futuristic and I found it to be kind of hypnotic and I was like, yeah, that was a good element. Although some of those ships are, you really see the CGI datedness is like they're, they're clearly just blurs. Like there's no texturing <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. or like anything on top of them if you look too closely. But that aside, it, it looked very cool. It, it worked for me. Yeah. Uh, and so um, the... Uh, the scene where Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, the whole crew, they go to the Gungans to try and convince try and convince them to join them in the fight against the Trade Federation. Um, you thought that was like uh I mean, I guess it was. It was like very easy to convince <laughs> to yeah. convince it's, them it seemed to, to join that, them. <laughs> it, it seemed to me that all Padme said was like, We're in this together. And yeah. then he was like, Oh, okay. In that case. And he like I didn't realize Yes, that. I'll commit my people to fighting a Your much overpowered enemy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh and I think that is a good point. You could maybe explain it by we don't know the context, maybe like the gesture of the queen like bowing down to to the chieftain of the Gungans is like that so monumentous, like we we have no concept of how it is. Again, yeah. going back to that outside history. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That's a pretty good read of that uh, situation. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be nice to have that context. So yeah, yeah. You saw just, more of the segregated you sort of societies. Have to, a little bit of guesswork, you that, know. But that headcanon works, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, there was lots of fun laser sounds in the Battle of Thebes. Yeah, the sound design. Great. That that's always oh, yeah, been the a part the of great Star light, Trek. lightsaber buzzing and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that weird sonic pistol that goes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Wow. yeah that- <laughs> Can Another we also have a separate offshoot of Sam just recreating sounds from Star Wars? Uh, I like can't even. It's yeah, it's a very odd sound. Yeah, yeah. it sticks yeah. out. It's not a regular yeah. laser. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, um, you didn't like the uh, the grass and the Gungan battle. That Gungan battle, that's yeah. one of the places where the CGI does not hold the up. worst. Yeah. It, you think so? Oh, I don't it know. It just looks like a green texture that the they ground put on is a hill. So bad. No, it looked alien to me. Like it looked like I think they were going for like a field, rolling hills though, yeah, and it just it did not translate at all. They were going for know. an old like Windows the, uh, XP. Exactly. Oh, that that's exactly say. what it looked but like. But the Windows XP thing was better. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I gotta make that my desktop. Just yeah, that just, literal Windows XP background, but with, but like, with uh, Gungans an on ATT it. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like ceramic. Yeah, yeah like, it did not. It did not look green good. Ceramic that being said, tile. though, the battle droids themselves, I think they looked great. That's yeah. what, it's such like hit and miss, and it's so such unfortunate extremes, yeah. because it's the like bat- okay, on you have good <laughs> CG on top of bad CG, and it just does not fit. But it's like some a, a lot of the battle droids, I think. 
parts of them, were, of them practical. were practical. And that that's the thing. It's it's you got to have that practical okay. part in I've it always as well. loved even when I was a kid. I loved the scene when they deploy the battle droids and then they're like they press the button and they like they uncurl and they stand up and pull their guns. I just like that's it's just visually good. it's just really cool. They that's are great cool. design. They are cool. Not a big fan of like the personality and the yes. dialogue Agreed. of the battle droids. Agreed. I thought it was really goofy and just like like I wasn't scared of those silly droids. Yeah, they right? were menacing. Yeah, they were not menacing at all. And and they were they were also just so easy to uh, take def- out. Yeah, yeah, to take out. Like, which is interesting because again, going back into the EU. Yeah. Like the 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 what the Naboo experience, you know, playing video games and stuff. It's a lot darker. You know, they mm-hmm. get rounded up and put in essentially concentration camps by battle right, droids. Right. right battle right. droids are supposed to be like. They're battle droids, right? Yeah. The Naboo are, are constantly referred to as a peaceful people. They don't have a standing army. Yeah. All the guys fighting are actually their police forces, right. not even the military. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. right. And so <clears throat> it's kind of you you kind of underestimate it's on, on film at least it's not portrayed the dynamic of like if you have yeah. professional soldiers <clears throat> invade your city, you only have like a small police force that gets easily overpowered and overmatched and get rounded up and put into concentration camps, right? Like that's yeah. a very dark story if I phrase it like that. Yeah. Versus what you see on screen, like these goofy droids, like, Arr. yeah, I thought, uh, I just thought it was like a, a missed opportunity to have a darker, yeah, yeah, like it just made them the trade federation seem sort of weak, you know, like, yeah. and yeah, for sure. And, <clears throat> and I guess they kind of were because Palpatine was just basically using them as a, as a scapegoat, you know, yes, to, absolutely. To, to take power, but <clears throat> I don't know, it, there could have been more done, there, yeah, absolutely. yeah. It, and especially when you see later iterations of battle droids, like an IG-88 or something, like droids that are like very, very competent, Menacing. yeah, and, yeah. and de- deadly and lethal, you know, it's or even like the HK-47 models. From yeah, the, yeah, you know, HK-47. Like, yeah. That totally. thing is scary. Yeah. It <laughs> makes jokes, but it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> I do not like meat bags. <laughs> Whoa, meat bag. <laughs> yeah. So, um, real quick, um. We haven't actually discussed Qui-Gon at all. And talked about him a little bit. He's he's actually one of the like the older I'm getting, I you I, I think you kind of miss some of the nuances as a kid. You just just kind of like this old guy or whatever, but revisiting him, I think I think he's actually so cool. Um and just his like the gray kind of does whatever he wants to kind of get the job done. Um yeah. Did I did I bring this up in our Force episode about the linguistic similarity between Qui Gon Jinn's name and uh, the practice of Qigong? Uh, hmm. I think it was mentioned somewhere by one of us, but yeah, so Qui Gon, Qui Gon Jinn is just sort of superficially similar to this thing called Qigong, which is essentially cultivating your your Force powers through huh. through Kung Fu. Yeah. I was I always wondered if that was like. And on purpose. Oh, it was definitely on purpose. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um. But yes, Qui Gon's like gray, kind of roguish thing. Yeah. Which it comes up a lot later too when you start to get introduced to characters like Count Dooku, who you know was Qui Gon's master. Master. Yeah. 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 And so that kind of line of like, are the they they add an element of like questioning the council, questioning the authority of like the because the Jedi were always portrayed as the good guys. Everyone's yeah. trying to be a Jedi, but when you see the Jedi Council. And Qui Gon's always this kind of like doubting voice of theirs. Yeah, it it adds an element of like, are the Jedi right? 
Yeah, know, yeah. Is the council wrong? Yeah. Could the and, council be wrong? And I love that line that Obi-Wan says. It's towards the end, too, where he's like, you would be on the council if you would just follow the code more. Yeah. Where it's just kind of showing more of that, like, he, he does does what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> but he's yeah. also, you know, he's he is wise. And that's, yeah, and that's, yeah, totally. You know, he would have been on the council, right? Yeah, he's good he, enough to be. And yeah, in, so, in some ways, I feel like Qui-Gon is... He's almost like the quintessential Jedi, though, in a lot of ways. And yeah, in some ways, he's responsible for the most destruction the galaxy has ever seen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Some quintessential Jedi. I was hoping to come into this one and have legitimate conversations on Jedi versus Sith, and maybe I would be able to sway stuff, but... Sam's pretty entrenched in his position. Yeah, the, the Sith no, are no. evil, and so are the Jedi. <laughs> no, but like, like he's From a parag- view, like he, he is like <laughs> he is like a paragon of like of like wisdom. Whether it, he just missed a generation on the chosen one, uh, but uh, he- <laughs> <laughs> that would be crazy. Imagine if Qui Gon trained Luke. Yeah, yeah, uh, like cool. in like a like a Blue Harvest kind of. <laughs> Um, but but like he he's just if Darth Vader trained Princess Leia <laughs> that happened in Infinities. Oh, wow. imagine if Darth Sidious trained Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Blown. Um, no, uh, but but like uh, you know he cares for like the oppressed and the weak, but he's also like he's very like street smart and uh, highly skilled and highly adept in the Force. You know. Uh, so, but he's also like he's a character that you, you least wanted to die in the film because you really want to know more about totally. him. But you don't like. There's a. I had so much. I remember initially watching it. I had so many more questions about who Qui Gon yeah. was. So you know? cool. Yes. So yeah, it it, uh, it definitely felt like it was a huge opening for way more um, expanded universe material <laughs> with that character. Yeah. Which so, so more on. Just building on Qui-Gon. Uh, we, of course, get the duel of the fates. Great piece of music, by the way. I, one of w- one of the best ones. That, that really, w- when that duel, Darth Maul versus Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan started, and, yeah. and the music kicked in, like, almost more than anything is how good the music was. Yeah, that piece of music is. Like, I I, I really... would genuinely like to know how many kids ran around with sticks <laughs> through, running through a field going just like right before you. Yeah. Oh, that was my childhood right there. Yeah, and absolutely. That was the soundtrack yeah, it, to it, all it, of my it, combat. Star Wars kid was all of us. Like, yeah. <laughs> and on that and on that note too, like it was definitely like. Lucas really upped the ante with the lightsaber fighting oh, and yeah. the choreography. Uh, at, like, and, and I think it was it was really cool, and I'm glad he it wasn't just the same as like the previous three, totally. mo- three movies. Like he really did, he really sort of pushed uh, the creativity in in what yeah you could actually do the action really really is another notch, and and just that moment when Darth Maul like the double bladed lightsaber never been seen before yeah, yeah. like. So cool. It did wrong before. Yeah. Really? Yes. And no that's, way. That's one of the really cool things. Was it's Exar, actually was Exar Kun before? Exar-Kun no way. I did not know that. Tales of the Jedi that makes was ninety four, I believe. That makes total so just, sense. Just to bring everybody up to speed, Exar Kun was one of the. He like there were Sith for a couple thousand years before him, but when Exar Kun fell as a Jedi and turned to the dark side, that was like when the Sith first became a real galactic threat 
and he, Exar Kun, invented the double-bladed lightsaber. And then in the history of Star Wars, double-bladed lightsabers were sort of considered the Sith lightsaber. Yeah, like and a dark side. They were aggressive weapons. Yeah. yeah, they were very aggressive. and so Yeah, they weren't defensive. They were there for killing. Yeah. So although there are Jedi who used double-bladed, it was much more common right. uh, associated with the Sith. And so the fact that Darth Maul, and Darth Maul was also a Zabrak, and, and Zabraks were also part of the EU, but not part of the original like movies they were all in comics and books yeah and so those are like two great pulls from that mythology that were incorporated suddenly, yeah exactly so, suddenly they have screen time and they're kind of like canonized in, yeah. a, in a new yeah. way in a new light which was very and cool. it is great that like lucas was willing to use stuff from the eu you yeah, know? yeah other people's ideas yeah other yeah. people's yeah. ideas on his uh ip so yeah that's pretty cool um one of my favorite scenes actually during that battle uh, is when so this comes I think comes back to the whole idea of force run. First of all, why doesn't Obi Wan just force run through all those labors? Because he's out all, of mana. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that's 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 the thought. But FP force power. The um, he needs to recharge his blue meter. At the bottom <laughs> of the screen. Um, but uh, when when the lasers close on the last one and uh, having Maul on the other side and Qui Gon when he sits down to meditate. I think is such a cool portrayal of the Jedi and the Sith and having Maul just kind of walking back and forth, prowling almost like a panther. I'm so glad you said, I was literally thinking the exact same thing. I think that is such a sweet, like, and, and just having Qui-Gon just kind of sit there, recharge, he's taxed. He's, he's just been through, you know, the ringer with this clearly more athletic. He doesn't doesn't even really look. I know, but like just hired, just like very peaceful. Just the fact though, that, that Sith very, confidently handles two like a jedi master and a padawan and he's holding his own against these guys is just like he's it's, and he it, looks like he's having fun totally doing yeah <laughs> it's just it's so and just that portrayal of the jedi pausing regathering himself for what's coming next and sith, uh, the sith just like all right let's get this fight going i'm i'm, I'm ready to finish this guy is so sweet so cool and then more cool things and uh so I'm thinking of doing a whole episode on this, but the research is going to take me a long time on body horror. Do you guys know what body horror is? Is that like a, a term you've ever heard of? If you ever... should really enunciate the last part of that. Uh, body word. horror. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen like a David Fincher movie, like The Fly or something. Anyway, so it's basically just really bad unpleasant things happening to your to bodies, to human bodies. Oh. And uh, we see some of the first elements of it here in episode one. Uh, so, A, you, you see pretty detailed the hole, the burning hole through Qui-Gon's chest. And that's fairly upsetting. But then it gets worse because he really just eats marble floor. Like he, when he topples, like he goes face first, slack body. It's oh. like if you imagine from... Like a sort of kneeling position if your head just if your body went totally slack and your head just smashes into the floor the kind of damage that would do to your face not good and then uh, later on of course Darth Maul gets cut in half and 
this is something that always really bothered me when I watched it when I was a kid is I would like imagine myself getting cut in half <laughs> <laughs> because he appears to be conscious as well as, he falls. Yeah. as he's yeah. falling yeah. and cut in half yeah his eyes are open yeah. and yeah. then he smashes into the the, <laughs> the walls, walls. Yeah. Yeah. on the way down it's so brutal but even think, oh, sorry go ahead so when I didn't when episode one came out a lot of my friends in school went to watch it before me and they all talked about how Darth Maul gets cut in half. <laughs> That's so not fair. And it was like, was it a spoil? Like, was it spoiled for you? Well, I mean, as a kid, I didn't really care about spoilers. I just wanted to know what happened. I wanted to watch it. Right. But my mind, I visualized him getting cut vertically in half. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I was just trying to picture how that would look with the lightsaber getting cut, like from crown of the head down well, to the crotch. Sh- you should have read uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye because uh, someone gets Darth that. Vader does that yeah. to an Imperial officer. Yeah. 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 But. Uh, that was canon. But that's what I always visualized was him getting cut in half vertically. So when I actually saw him get cut in half sideways, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're expecting so Something much worse. That is yeah. the, the PG way to bisect a bug. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but even that has kind of throwbacks to uh, Empire Strikes Back, Luke falling down the shaft, right? Like all throughout a Phantom, uh, Phantom Menace. It, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you get... and. I, that's some of the stuff that I think those subtleties that I kind of missed when I was a kid watching it and now rewatching it's been I <clears throat> maybe uh, maybe just to land this plane we'll all kind of give our overall impressions um, maybe we can start with Frankie go to me Sam and then we'll end with you Christian uh, um, yeah and then we'll just kind of uh, you know, did you like or dislike the movie? What was your overall impression, Frankie? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Lucas definitely took some risks that maybe didn't quite pay off. But on the other hand, I think there's a lot of, honestly, stuff that filmmaking as a whole, you kind of see the ripple effect that, that this movie actually had on the, in, the filmmaking industry, which I think sometimes gets lost behind, uh, I think, people's sometimes unnecessary hate of of the acting and the writing which absolutely has its flaws but kind of revisiting it it, i don't hate it to the same degree that it had um on its release and it could be that i'm just biased because i was such a young kid seeing it there's a lot of nostalgia tied to it but um yeah didn't hate it action in it still holds up today as i think some of the coolest lightsaber dueling um yeah yeah yeah, I think uh, I liked the movie. Um, definitely wasn't like a perfect film, a flawed film for sure. Uh, I think, like I said, there was a few like plot points that like were really like just didn't weren't believable to me. Um, and then obviously there was a lot of rough dialogue. Some of the character portrayals were a little cringy. Um, those kind of things, but. Overall, the I agree with you. The it was actually kind of bold, and uh, in a lot of ways, like going the direction that Lucas went, up more to like this kind of like political drama away from like a spaghetti western, is like a very big uh, risk to take. And um, um, so I thought that was cool. I I there there was also so much world building in the film that. I really liked uh, and I, I thought it was just cool. It made you like you use your imagination much more in sort of the world building of the Star Wars universe. So uh, yeah, that's what I liked. And then um, uh, yeah, there was like, 
I like I like the political intrigue. I like I like the building of the character for uh, Palpatine. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, big dislikes obviously was like Jar Jar Banks. Um, I was really I thought that the Trade Federation was uh, portrayed as being just way too weak and inept. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, uh, that that's about it. Annoying dialogue, uh, relatively throughout. But I didn't really like hate any of the other characters. Like, um, but uh, I thought it was a good movie. It was a good flawed movie. Uh, poor execution, but some cool, um, bigger ideas with it and cool aesthetics. I thought so. Totally. Uh, my overall impression was, I think. Little people were very well represented in this movie. <laughs> the Anakin's Rodian friend, <laughs> clearly a little person. Uh, there's that beige Yoda guy, also a little person. Even PL. There was another little person on the pod track. And, and Yoda himself, too. <laughs> Yoda himself. But, I mean, he's not played by a real person. I mean, and really, when you think about it, when was the last action movie you saw a little person in who wasn't Peter Dinklage? <laughs> Yeah, good point. <laughs> I don't know. And he, and he even goes back further in Star Wars is the Ugnaughts were all little people and R2-D2 is a little person. Ewoks? Star, Ewoks are all little people. <laughs> Star Wars is very little person positive. <laughs> Do we need another side I podcast? I don't know why you guys think that's funny. <laughs> but it was uh, the greatest bad movie of all time <laughs> it held up i i uh, enjoyed it maybe it was just because of nostalgia but i was like ah, i'm having fun it's yeah. a good movie yeah. obviously flawed i went over that but uh i think it's a good movie i think i think one thing sorry uh butting into is the the thing that kind of like for me sets this like the prequel trilogy apart from like the sequel trilogy is just the internal consistency of it and the uh a consistent narrative structure, which I th I thought was like at at least there was like a it was there was a lot of continuity um in e from going from the original to the prequel trilogy uh and that was like a really big pet peeve of mine in the new trilogy was just it just felt so disjointed and no continuity but that that's kind of the last thing I have to say about that. Yeah, overall, uh, my final rating it's uh i'd say it's a resounding eh um <laughs> there's some serious misdirection with some of the choices that were made you know we don't have to beat a dead horse you know yeah. what those are uh some generally boring plot uh, that sets up i think a better story if it stood as a standalone installment i think the way you know a lot of the story beats hold up like if i if i told the plot to you conceptually it would sound like a good story. So I think the, yeah. the flaws in the execution totally more than the story itself, which is a, is a redeeming quality of the film. Um, there's lots of cool world building and lots of cool aspects that are introduced, you know, the Republic at its high point, a lot of the characters like Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul. Um, obviously the score is timeless, um, but, and it all serves to set the new tone for the next couple of movies. This is what Star Wars is going to look like now. Yeah. in reflection to what we knew of the original trilogy. Um, like I said, if you modified the story or like the lines or like the specifics of it, I think you could get a way better movie out of it. But I think the material, the core material is good. I think it's great material yeah. to start with. I mean, the whole 
beginnings and origins of Anakin and the Republic and all that. You, you know what? I Sorry, just before you go on. I was thinking even when I was watching it, this would have been a way, if this was like in the kind of golden age of television we have now, it would have been a way better like, like a Clone TV, Wars. TV, TV yes, show. I thought that you know? and I forgot to mention that if, as well. If they just like, yeah, like wrote wrote the prequels all as a, as a TV show because then they would have had much more time to flesh out the characters and yeah, and, t- and tell execute a bit the plot better so yeah absolutely but continue I, I your agree. thoughts yeah. um overall I, I think it's my second least liked of the prequel trilogy movies um <laughs> above oh, that was quite a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's above the clone wars is what i'm trying to say so it's in the middle it's, second it's in the middle favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the first prequel. so your second so your second favorite <laughs> of the new trilogy yes um, it gets new point, trilogy. No, of the old of the old <laughs> of new the trilogy, the prequel trilogy, yeah. <laughs> not to be confused with the sequel trilogy yeah. or the original trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> um, it builds more lore than it destroys. It sets up yeah, a lot yeah. of the pre-empire era that is very cool. Metaclorians are a questionable addition to the lore, but it doesn't wreak havoc like the Last Jedi does on established characters. Totally. Totally. Um, it tells a coherent, if not sleepy, story. Um, unlike the frantic and illogical story of the Rise of Skywalker, and it's an <laughs> original story, so it gets credit over. Um, yeah, yeah, the Force Awakens. <laughs> yeah, except so, for how it's also like mirroring. It's got there's yeah, a difference. It's got mirroring. echoes. Copy, yeah, there's echoes, and then there's straight up ripping. Uh, yeah, off. yeah, yeah. Paint, paint no, by numbers. I, I agree. It uh, and watching it again, it wasn't like quite just the like hero's Hate journey, yeah. uh, uh, carbon copy. That like uh, we don't even really know who like who really was the main protagonist in the movie. So that was actually a big criticism I had. Okay, it doesn't have a clear one. There is no but, clear protagonist, which hurts, I think, its narrative story. I think if they chose though? to focus on one character, if you told the story of Qui-Gon... Is that part of his risks, though? Is that is that a... Is that a I think on it, like... Because I think... I, I like George Lucas for a lot of that. reasons, but he's not a great writer. And sure. so he's got cool story I, I agree, ideas. I agree. 100% and even with the prequel or the original trilogy, he had other people editing his work for him. Yeah, yeah. Especially his, his now ex-wife, who had a huge hand in making the original trilogy, what you know, and not the... Uh, what's the Star Wars... The original, original oh, comic I, book series. I forget its name. Yeah, but <laughs> I thought it was Blue Harvest, but it's not. I think it's, it's Luke's a, Starlighter or whatever. I think yeah, it's like a, a lot Star of Wars. the changes that happened could be. Yeah. Why you saw Star Anakin Wars Star Killer or Star Killer? His name. There, the there's a lot character? of changes. Yeah. yeah, but my point remains the same: is that a lot of those that evolution came from other people's input that took his good idea and made it something great. Yeah. But with by the time episode one rolled around, he had so much you know say. He just throw his weight around. No one would question his decisions. So that that good core exists in episode one. Yeah. And even in the entire, this goes for the entire prequel trilogy. Uh, Still like Revenge of the Sith. I do. No, no, no. Given way less credit than it deserves. Absolutely. We'll get to Revenge of the Sith eventually. But just as the overall tone, like could have been better. They all could have been way better. Yeah, they could have been. been strained. The idea has been strained through someone else's editing, for example. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, again, not having a protagonist in the story, I think, hurts the story. And imagine if the movie was about Qui-Gon. One, you yourself confess that you would have liked to know yeah, more about yeah. this guy, right? You know, if you focused... But would it have just fallen into the hero's journey trap? It doesn't have to. The story is, though... No, because... I think it is about Anakin. When you really come back to it, it is about Anakin. And yeah. So, exactly. So if, if you it, had so to So, if the story somebody, is about Anakin, yeah. then Anakin should be the focus of your story. Right. You can't introduce your main yeah. character halfway through the film... 
right visit with him a couple of times in a few scenes and then really tell another story altogether it, it's, it's almost like anakin was work. brought along to an <laughs> to unnecessary <a> <laughs> battle uh <laughs> unnecessarily when right. there's like oh yeah this movie's about him let's just pull him in right there. exactly so i think right. if it went through As like a, yeah some more focus insight. some more you know yeah the ideas were refined more yeah, you know, I I, I like Qui Gon origin story. You know, oh, that would be so sick. Would have been almost would have been cool as Episode One instead. Yeah, of, and then you you can, you can still introduce characters like Obi Wan yeah. and Anakin. But you could even do like a you know like a little like five minute flashback montage of Qui Gon becoming a Jedi or whatever. Yeah, and, and does that future does that characters do like service Count though to yeah. the idea that those first six movies are about the Skywalkers? That's who they're about. So to then it's make the first the installment though. of it all the main character about someone else, you it would almost have, feel you like a, a standalone about movie. someone else while telling a broader picture. Game of Thrones does that very sure. well. It changes perspectives constantly, but the greater narrative story is about X or Y through the eyes of someone else. Yeah, so, and I'm not saying Qui Gon should have been the main character. You could have told the story all about Anakin. I would could have, have been Obi Wan even. Yeah, right. Yeah. Any one of those characters would have worked. They just had to focus on one and tell that story, and so yeah, right. you know, or or pare it down to a couple of them being the main characters. Yeah, and that is a huge criticism I have of episode one: is who is the protagonist of that story? I yeah, I I don't know. I didn't hate that idea of you know, it's just different. Interestingly enough, though, that is actually a, so. I actually went back and looked at a lot of the, the old critiques because as a kid, I was always like, man, people really hate this movie, <laughs> and I was looking back, and that's actually one of the main critiques that. A lot of the critiques is like the CG, the writing, and the fact that there is no main protagonist. And so it's it's, it's interesting to see you kind of echo those same critiques of the movie. But I think sometimes it gets wrapped up in the hype beast that it was at the time. That it like... Yeah. I, and I hate to use expectations as a uh, as a marker because it can also be an excuse for lazy movies. You know for what sure. I'm talking about. <laughs> but, uh, but if any movie has... Jurassic Park? <laughs> No, try again. It it does work for Jurassic Park, though. <laughs> um, but uh, or Jurassic World, rather. Um, I don't know what else I'm trying to talk. Yeah, you were just saying it could be like used, like for re- being lazy, r- lazy writing. Basically, oh no, of, of all of all the Star Wars yeah, movies, Episode One had the greatest so expectation yeah, placed yeah. on it because it's yeah. the first time since Return of the Jedi no one even knew Star Wars was coming back this was yeah, not yeah. like premeditated I think everyone expected yeah it was so done. the amount of, of expectation placed on this movie would have been almost impossible to I think to meet you know especially because Lucas you know we weren't going back to see Luke we weren't going back to do those other things Lucas yeah. already had a vision uh, that he you know even way back when he did the original trilogy he was going to make that vision a reality right mm-hmm. it's just the, the audience didn't know what to expect um, so uh, I hate that excuse for other movies, but for this one, I will say it did have, you know, a crazy amount of hype yeah. to live up to that. I don't think it, it could have satisfied it. Yeah, there's everyone. probably no way. I don't think it and Lucas himself has actually gone on, on the record saying that exact thing. He's like, I don't think I, I don't think I could have made a movie that would have pleased, pleased yeah. the expectations that came out yeah. with. No, absolutely. That is not an excuse for the flaws of this movie. There for are sure. many and it's, yeah. Know, like I said, it's, it's towards the bottom of Star Wars movies for me. For all the reasons that I've mentioned, but yeah. it's not kind of in bad. the middle for me. But yeah, it's yeah. A, it's an eh movie. Yeah, you know, but it's a good eh movie, <laughs> in my opinion. Yes, I could just I could watch the last ending battle and and call it there. Uh, yeah, you That's, know the the scene like where that last like little bit of the lightsaber battle between Maul and like after Qui Gon dies, 
and it's just uh, Obi Wan and uh, Maul. It was like very good. Yeah, it, the, it was like, the the butterfly flip that yeah, Maul they like, does. They went so like sweet. so fast. Anyways, I'm just yeah. <laughs> coming back to <laughs> yeah. It's like glory. um, uh, one last criticism. I kind of really dislike the very end scene, and that was one part where the music was just terrible. I hated the score that they All had. Oh, the uh, peace. like the parade. Yeah, the, it was like the parade. Uh, yeah, and Barb. Yeah, <laughs> it was just so, so that tacky. too though. That too. That's a nod back. It, when I was rewatching it, I'm like, that's totally a nod back to the throne room yeah, when, yeah. when they all get their medals. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It rhymes. Right? Yeah, but so, it, it was tacky. And it was it, unnecessary. And the music was like, it was actually like the first bad score I've heard. You want to know? So I had the episode one soundtrack when I was a kid, and I used to like to listen to the parade song. They had it on. <laughs> sometimes, it so sometimes when I need a little extra on the way to work or something, I'll put on different songs from the soundtrack. Um, and when I got my first car, I would actually do the um, the the trench run soundtrack and pretend my car was an X wing, and I would just rip through traffic. And uh, this morning on the way home, I was definitely listening to the uh, the ending credit song. Uh, so there's a confession. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, kind of a, a, a mirror back to Return of the Jedi and bad ending scores is also the uh, Ewok yeah, totally. Ewok celebration yeah. song yeah. too. Like that yeah. one too, man. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if I just have rose-colored glasses yep, for yep, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and they just, they can do no wrong until I remembered what happened with Disney. And then I'm like, oh, there it is. There's yeah. the wrong. Yeah, cool. Well, this podcast has been nearly as long as the movie itself, so you may as well just listen yeah. to us and watch the movie. <laughs> you get the play-by-play. Uh, on that note, uh, we'll sign out. Peace out, guys. Are you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to give the show a five-star rating and review, and give us a follow on social media. This episode was produced and edited by me, Jordan Swaim, written and directed by Christian Lutz and Sam Swaim. All original music was scored and recorded by my music project, Farewell to Shadowland. Thanks for flying with us. We are interested to hear from you. You can reach us at starlorspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts, comments, or corrections. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating, review, and subscribe. You can also help us out through our Patreon at the Star Lords Podcast. Find us on Instagram, the Star Lords Podcast, on Facebook at the Star Lords Podcast, on Twitter at the Star Lords Podcast, and on YouTube, Star Lords Podcast. We'll catch you next time.